Positive heads out there. Thanks for tuning your beautiful brainwaves into another episode of the Positive Head Podcast, where we are firmly convinced that creating success and happiness is rooted in understanding the ultimate nature of reality and the fact that as human beings, we are all immensely powerful fractals of the one and only source consciousness, which creates and animates all things. Now, of course, understanding this powerful truth is one thing. Applying this incredibly empowering wisdom to everyday life? Well, that's another. Which is exactly why we provide you with a fresh serving of soul food for thought five days a week to help constantly remind you of what matters most. You are it. And I'm your host, Brandon Beecham. I'm the reflection and extension of you who will be here each Wednesday interviewing a different consciousness changemaker and on the other four weekdays, leading the way to ensure that your perspective is consistently expanded, your vibration is constantly elevated, and your heart is overflowing and full. Also, before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a few sponsors that not only helped make it possible to produce this show five days a week, but that I'm also genuinely passionate about promoting especially since they're helping to fund all the cool projects we have in the works, such as the Positive Head app, the docuseries that I'm intending to begin shooting within the next year, and whatever else we dream up over here at Positive Headquarters to help spread consciousness across the planet. Now, if you're short on time or just super excited for today's topic and want to dive right in and skip these ads, as well as me reading reviews or addressing any other business, feel free to fast forward about Four minutes to get right into today's show. That being said, I strongly encourage you to listen because the reason I'm passionate about my sponsors is because they've made a huge impact in my own life, which is why I've aligned with these organizations. And I firmly believe they can do the same for you too. The first longtime stellar supporter of this show that I want to mention is Gaia. If you're not familiar, Gaia is the go-to source for streaming consciousness content online with over 8,000 video titles. And you can sign up for your first month for only 99 cents at Gaia.com forward slash positive head. That's spelled G-A-I-A dot com forward slash positive head. The second sponsor I'm extremely passionate about promoting is Purium. The reason I've aligned Positive Head with Purium is because I wholeheartedly stand behind their mission to end human suffering by making superfoods easily available to everyone with the ultimate goal to help restore mankind's harmony with nature in the process. I mean, what a noble mission, right? It's no mystery that you need to bring your mind, body, and spirit into balance if a person truly intends to manifest the greatest and grandest version of themselves. And for me, for years... I honestly felt like I was ahead of the curve in the mind and spirit category, but I was only average at best in the level of care I administered to my body. Sure, I was healthy-ish when it came to the food I put into my system, but after doing a Purium 40-day transformation with a 10-day metabolic reset and cleanse, I can honestly say I have reestablished my relationship with food in a very positive way. Not only did I drop the extra weight that I was carrying as a natural byproduct of the transformation, 
so that I'm now at my ideal body weight, but I continue to feel like my best self by starting every day with an organic Perium power shake that is made from raw superfood ingredients that were meticulously harvested, thoughtfully combined to optimize the nutritional impact it has on my body. I view the shake as plant medicine, really, and it happens to taste really delicious and I can make it in about 30 seconds. There's actually four core Purium products that I take every day, and honestly, I intend to do so for the rest of my life for a very scientifically sound reason. And if you want to learn more about those reasons, you can go check out my video at positivehead.com forward slash transformation, where I go into more detail. If you end up buying any of the Purium products, be sure and use the code POSITIVEHEAD, all one word, for a 25% discount. Secondarily, the other great thing about Purium is that it is also a new school, highly ethical network marketing company. Now, I'm no Richard Branson or Warren Buffett when it comes to business, but I am proud to say a company I founded was Zero Startup Capital back in 2010 was recognized as an Inc. fastest growing private company in the U.S. five years later in 2015. So I do think it's safe to say I probably know a bit more than the average person when it comes to business. And like Richard Branson and Warren Buffett, I believe network marketing is a brilliant model when it's implemented ethically with high vibe products like Purium. You people realize that over 80% of women that make six figures a year in the U.S. do so through network marketing. So why am I going into all this? Well, (laughs) to let you know, if you end up loving the Purium products as much as I do and also happen to be looking to create a passive income stream. You can also sign up to become a Purium brand partner. And if you want to learn more about that, go check out my video and several others that go into greater detail about network marketing and becoming a brand partner at positivehead.com forward slash transformation. And if you ultimately sign up or get products, remember, of course, to use the code positivehead, all one word. All right, all you positive heads, on this week's Pow Wow episode, I am super excited to have the one and only Greg Braden here with me on the show. Greg is a five-time New York Times bestselling author and is internationally renowned as a pioneer in bridging science, spirituality, and human potential. If you've been listening to this podcast uh, for any length of time, you've definitely heard me mention uh, his incredible show, Missing Links on Gaia, dozens of times, and Today, we're going to dive into as many mysterious and fascinating topics together as space-time will allow, uh, including his latest book, Human by Design. Hey there, Greg. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Brandon. I am thrilled to be with you today. I've got to ask, where are you physically on this planet today? I I am physically sitting in uh, Costa Mesa, California, Orange County, just outside of Los Angeles. I'm coming to you from the high desert of northern New Mexico then. I just, I like to know... Where the coordinates are of people I'm talking to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is great, Greg. I'm, I'm so happy to have you on. It's it, You've been, you know, we, I've been doing this show a little over three years and you were at the top of my list of someone who one day I, I intended to wrangle and here you are. So super happy to have you. And I'm going to hey, jump hey, right well, in. What, what, what took us so long? How come it took three years? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What took us so long, Greg? <laughs> I think I re- I'm, I'm reached to be out here. You know, I, I, my sense is our time is going to go by very quickly. We, there's a lot of ground we could cover. And uh, Brandon, you know, this first time you and I've worked together, I'm going to follow your lead. Uh, everything is on the table. Nothing's off limits. And, uh, and let's just go and see where we go with this. 
Oh man, I love that. The only thing I wish is I had about five hours, but we're gonna we're gonna pack as much as we can into one. All right. And the the, the place I like to uh, to kind of jump off is um, kind of a um, predictable question. You're in an elevator. Uh, the gal next to you looks over, says, "What's your passion?" You got ten floors to answer. What do you say? <laughs> Actually, I have I've had that happen on an airplane. So I, I imagine uh, you've had it happen a few times. <laughs> yeah, but usually, so my answer when they ask on the airplane, you know, they'll say, "What's your passion?" And I'll I'll ask, "How much time have you got?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know, my I love I love this world. I love the people of this world. My passion is to share what I've found to be true in a way that's truthful, honest, and factual, uh, in a way that can contribute to helping us have better lives and create a better world. Love that. Love that. So now, if, if you would, if one of two things will happen after I say that. Either they'll put on their headphones and start watching a movie, <laughs> or, or they'll put the headphones away, and, um, uh, and we'll have a great conversation. Well, we will have a, a conversation. Can I share one of those conversations with you? Yeah, absolutely. This, this is really interesting. I was in, um, I used to fly Delta Airlines when I was living in, in the Southeast. I was living in um, uh, Jupiter, Florida for a period of time. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, six I months there and six months here in New Mexico. And uh, Delta has their, their hub in Atlanta. So I would fly uh, Atlanta to Albuquerque. And I got mm-hmm. on the plane in Atlanta. And uh, a, a guy sat next to me. Uh, uh, he was Air Force. And he, first thing he said to me, you know, people say this all the time. They say business or pleasure. And, you know, I mm-hmm. said yes. <laughs> and, then, and then he said, he said well, you know, what do you do for a living? You look like an artist. And I said, well, I, I'm an artist, a musician, uh, but I'm also an author. And so that led to a conversation about what I write about. And it's about mm-hmm. a three-hour flight, and we, we talked pretty much that whole three hours. Wow. And, during, during, and I asked him, I said, you know, tell me about what you do. And he was uh, Special Forces, uh, oh, the wow. equivalent of the Navy SEALs in the Air Force. And mm. in New Mexico, our, our airport in Albuquerque uh, shares the runway with the Air Force Base. It's Kirtland Air Force Base and Albuquerque okay. share the same same runway. So he was on his way back to his base, and um, he asked if I had any kids, and I told him I didn't. And he said, you know, he and his wife would never bring a child into the world the way it is right now. He just he saw the world in a really negative light. Mm. And I asked him, I said, you know, I understand that. I said, but there's another way to think about it. I said, you know, why would you deny a soul the opportunity to come into this world right now when one life and the thinking mm. of one person has the potential to to overturn everything that we have thought and held true and, and change the world in a really positive way? And so we continue to talk about that. We got into Albuquerque, went to the baggage claim, uh, and all of a sudden I saw him. He had his bag, and he was like running for the door. And I said, I said, hey, thanks for the conversation. I said, you're in a hurry. Where are you going? And he said, are you kidding? I'm going home to make a baby. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. So he, he went from thinking he was never going to have one until he couldn't wait to, to make one. So, <laughs> so I like wow. to think that I, I contributed that in, in at least a, a small way. <laughs> That's a beautiful story. And, you know, I call it ROI, ripple of impact. What is the ripple of impact of that? Who is that kid going to be, assuming there is a kid? Like, what a fascinating... I always am so curious also, like, okay, it was is there a soul contract there that led to you sitting next to him that made all the difference? This is maybe the future president of the planet or whatever it may be down the road. Who knows? But yeah, I, I uh, think about what, that as well, Brandon. And, and you know, it's what he was saying to me is very common because if... 
if someone does not recognize the big picture, and yep. if someone is not been conditioned uh, to to look beyond <clears throat> the you know what you would typically see in the mainstream news television program, uh, right. it looks like a pretty scary world. It looks like things are just the world is coming apart at the seams, uh, falling apart for no apparent reason. When we step back. However, and look at the big picture. I'm, I'm a scientist, um, a degree geologist. I'm, I'm trained to look at, at cycles, uh, cycles mm-hmm. of time, cycles of history. And, when, uh, and I also like to, I like to look at the big picture and find out what's driving the world I live in. And then I like to let that big picture go and step yeah. into like the nanosecond you know, of, of my life to know where my life fits into that big picture. And right. if, if people don't know that we are living this rare convergence of cycles, climate cycles, economic cycles, cycles of human conflict, all converging in a way that we've never seen in 5,000 years of recorded human history, it looks like a pretty scary world. When you recognize those cycles, what you see is that, at least in the past, the change is intense. It's brief. It's a, a very brief, intense period of change when... Everything is up for grabs. Uh, It's Mm. like everything we've held true in our lives, what we believed, is being examined. And then the beauty is the things that are true are still true. The things that that work are going to keep working. The only things that are breaking down right now in our society, in our culture, in our civilization, in our belief systems, the only things breaking down are the things that are no longer sustainable because they're based upon ideas, thinking, and beliefs that simply aren't true. And when you begin to look at that, the world looks very different, and we recognize we've got this little window of time. You know, it doesn't last generation after generation. We're we're a very uh, rare generation to have this kind of opportunity concentrated in such a a small window of time where we do have the ability to influence uh, and affect in a positive way the thinking uh, and the actions of uh, of governments, of nations, uh, of education systems, of economic systems, of so- sources of, of resources and how they're used, all of that. So when yeah. I shared that, you know, with the uh, my friend from the Air Force, you know, he had never been led to believe that anything like that is happening. It looked like a completely random process of just everything coming apart and that's why he didn't yep. want to have any kids so i right. think it's true for all of us you know if we sit back and look at the big it, it is it can be a scary world um and the better this is the key for me the better we know ourselves the less we fear the change because yeah. we're self-referencing beings and we typically are conditioned to uh to draw upon the stability of our external world for our sense of well-being. So as long as everything is is nice and buttoned up, you know, we feel pretty good. When when that external world starts to rock and roll, subconsciously we're saying to ourselves, what does this mean to me? And if we don't know who we are, if we aren't instilled with this rock-solid sense of uh, the extraordinary nature of our being, and that's what the, the new book and that's what this work is all about, that change can look scary, but the better we know ourselves, the less we fear the change in the world, the less we fear other people, and, and perhaps yeah. most importantly, the less we fear our own power. And that's right. where I think the action really is. When, 
when we embrace the power within us, then we are less reliant on the outside world to help us feel safe. And that's where we find our power. I love that. And it really, you know, it makes me think of, um, you know, if you know that you are a butterfly and we're collectively a butterfly and currently the caterpillar is transitioning, it makes it a lot easier to find peace in the process, right? If you have no idea what's going on, it all looks pretty scary when uh, everything's breaking down into, uh, you know, the caterpillar breaks down into this goo that the imaginal cells consume and, you know, transmute it. And that's essentially, you know... Arming people, get, you know, giving people the knowledge and wisdom that you've been you and you've been at it for a long time. So hats off to you. I've been following your work for a very long time and it's mm-hmm. it's super inspiring and, you know, helping to shine a light on a lot of the areas that, you know, modern science is like, oh, no, we don't want to look there. Cover that one up. That's doesn't quite fit into the mold. And the, the problem with that is, is it creates so much fear because it isn't based off truth. And now, of course, we have things like the internet and the ability to, you know, for us to create the media like the show. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful transition, as you stated in, in our evolution where anything, everything is possible. And I think that's probably why you have so many souls here for the big show uh, and more coming every day. Right. Well, we do, we do have more coming every day. It sounds like you may have had Bruce Lipton on this program in the past. Yes, I have had Bruce have Lipton, you? who I, I absolutely love. I heard, I heard Bruce Liptonism on there. We we've been friends for over well <laughs> since before either of us have books. We know that. I think it's over twenty five years. And and Bruce was one of the first to begin talking about the imaginal selves. So that was mm. that yeah, was why I yeah, said yeah. that. Yeah, I absolutely um, uh, encourage any of you guys listening who didn't hear Bruce. It's been maybe two years since Bruce was on, but if you go back and search, uh, he's amazing, amazing individual biology of belief and. Uh, wrote the biology belief and even there's a youtube video that i always recommend to people that's sort of him giving the breakdown in about 45 minutes to an hour and i love how he ties this the scientific uh aspect to um this whole you know it's not just hey you create thoughts with your 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 beliefs and re- you know whatever it's like hey here's the science that goes along with it and yeah, it's such yeah. a powerful thing to tie together but let's de- let's dig in greg into your your latest book human by design um come out within the last year and you really uh you know dive into some fascinating pieces um you know of information in regards to um you know who we are and where we come from and this idea that it it, it appears that we've been designed maybe in a different way than has been taught to us in elementary school um do you want to just kind of start giving uh, maybe start at the beginning with the, you know, sort of the, the, the origin and some of the new evidence that's uh, come forth? Well, I'll start even before that. You know, the, the context of this book, um, it, it was a, a long time in, in the making the, to actually uh, bring this material together. We're, we're all looking at this world that's changing, and there are a lot of things that are very frightening in the world. And we're seeing the rise of hate, for example. We're seeing the rise of hate based upon the color of our skin, uh, on our sexual orientation, our religious orientation, cyberbullying of our young people in school, you know, the atrocities of war that come right into our living room, whether we're talking about Syria or Ethiopia or Libya or Afghanistan or Iraq, you know, wherever it is, we're seeing all these things, and, and I'm seeing people really struggle with what to do uh, right. and how to make sense of these things. And I'm also seeing a lot of people, including governments, uh, try to fix it by passing laws to make it illegal to hate, for example. We now have 
uh, a hate crime act that was signed in the law in 2009. So it's now actually illegal to to hurt or kill someone based upon their sexual orientation or their religious belief. I mean, they had to, to pass a law to to wow. make it illegal. And, you know, I understand that, and I understand out of desperation where that comes from, but, but what I realize very clearly is as different as all of these things are, whether we're talking about global or local, and whether we're talking about, you know, hate crimes or, or we're talking about vaccinations, what we put into our bodies, drug abuse, domestic violence, uh, you know, all these things, as different as they are from one another, they all have a common thread. And that thread is they're only possible because of the way we have been led to think about ourselves. Mm. And while we can pass the laws and require the schools to teach science that's no longer based in fact, which is, we'll talk about that, that's what's happening right now. For me, the bottom line is until we go to the core of the thinking that makes all of these things possible, anything we do is simply a bandage, temporary Temporary fix maybe helps us feel better. It's not going to help our children and their generation. Mm-hmm. So I was really interested in, in going to the core of the thinking that has led to so many of the crises that we face in our world and in our lives today. Uh, and that thinking is based upon a story. So we are steeped, we in the Western world, we're steeped in a story. Uh, and the scientific story began about 150 years ago of who we are and where we come from. And the story has led us to believe a lot of things that aren't true. And based on those non-truths, they are pictured in the world that it looks so frightening to us right now. So Charles Darwin, 1859, for example, he proposed the theory of evolution uh, by natural selection. He said that we live in a world based upon competition, conflict, struggle, scarcity, uh, you know, a world of dog-eat-dog. And those ideas are reflected in our society that was actually, we began building our society in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So the economic right. system is based in competition and conflict. Our, um, the way we share resources is based in these ideas, survival of the strongest. Uh, and it's, it's breaking down now because it's not sustainable. It's, it's not based in truth. So when I, as a scientist, I'm a, a scientist, I'm a degree geologist. Um, and what I'm about to share with our listeners uh, is 180 degrees opposed to what I was taught to accept when I was in the university system. And it's true not only for me, but for, for a lot of people. There, There is a, a battle going on in the mainstream right now to cling to an old story that's called the standard model. And that mm-hmm. standard model, it goes to the reality of our world and it goes to human origins and where we come from and how we have come to be as we are. And that standard model is based upon Darwin's idea of of evolution. So what I'll say to our our listeners right now, as a geologist, uh, I believe in evolution. It's a fact for some forms of life. Uh, I've seen it in the fossil record for some plants uh, and some animals and some insects. And the whole theory breaks down when it comes to humans. And that is not not simply... um, my theory or my hypothesis, this is peer-reviewed science from real scientists, not pop scientists that you're going to see on cable network news or on a glossy magazine in the airport. This is really right. hardcore science. It's no longer supported in, in, in the science, and there is a reluctance and there's a resistance to share these new discoveries in the mainstream. But we're still teaching our young people uh, a false story based upon obsolete science 
and we're asking them to solve the problems of the world we're leaving that were created based upon that false story. So right. with this book, this book is divided into two parts. The first is the science uh, in a very reader-friendly, accessible way uh, that tells us why the story is false, the physical evidence that doesn't exist, and the DNA evidence, what it's telling us. second part of the book is, now that we know that, what do we do with it? How do we apply the extraordinary abilities that we are imbued with through a mysterious event that happened 200,000 years ago that gives us the ability that no other form of life has, and that is the ability to consciously self-regulate our biology, to self-regulate our longevity, our immune system, our resilience, our intuition, uh, and a host of other things. How do we apply that in our lives and these extraordinary abilities uh, in our everyday lives? So in a nutshell, that the book is broken in those two parts, the science that tells us what we've been led to believe is not true, uh, and then the, the application, what the story does suggest, how do we apply that in our lives? So that's a long answer to a short question, but I wanted to lay that out, oh. and then we can tie into that wherever you'd like to go here. Yeah, yeah, I, that's that's a great foundation. And, you know, so w- looking back to our origin, you know, a couple hundred thousand years ago, basically um, there's, well, for one, of course, we've talked about, and I believe you talk about this in the book, the, the missing, missing physical evidence is one of the things that, right. you know, we've talked about the, the missing link or what have you, which never's really shown up. Then you, you start tying in some of the new DNA evidence and uh, even this, um, you know, uh, human chromosome number two. You start putting all those things together and it gets pretty interesting. Perhaps you can give us kind of a, a rundown on sure. all of that. Sure. You know, well, Darwin's theory, first of all, I, I want to be really clear on where I'm with Charles Darwin. I have a lot of respect for the man. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a geologist as well. Uh, I'll just tell you another story. I was doing a radio interview when the book first came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's what we sometimes, we authors call a hostile interview. <laughs> oh, fun. <laughs> uh, where where I, I, you know, I picked up the, 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 the line and there was no good morning, how are you, welcome to the show, or anything like that. The guy was just... <laughs> right. um, adamant that he was not into this work at all. And the first thing he said to me, he says, what gives you the right to even talk about Darwin's theory of evolution? Uh, He said, when your degree is a geologist, he says, you're an earth scientist, how can you possibly Mm -hmm. talk about any of this? And I said, I said, my friend, do you know what the profession was of the man who created the theory of evolution? And he said, no. I said, he was a geologist. And they said, okay, oh, well, let's, wow. take, let's take a station break. And they went to station break. <laughs> <laughs> and never so said good. another word. Never said another word about it. So the, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for Darwin. Uh, I think he, he was a good scientist. He lived in a very different world, you know, 1859, a very different world very. than we live in today. And in my opinion, where he made a mistake was he made some observations for some forms of life in one place on the planet and he generalized what he found to apply to all forms of life everywhere on the planet throughout time, uh, including human life. And it doesn't work that way. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm not down on, on Darwin. And, and he suspected that there was a problem with his own theory. He suspected it would be overturned pretty quickly. And it has been. Yeah. It's just that the academics will not let that theory fall. So from the time yeah. he released that theory, 1859... He had tremendous criticism from his peers because the physical ev- there has never been one shred of physical evidence 
to link modern humans with the forms of life that we see on those evolutionary trees uh, that we are led to believe that we descended from. So Neanderthal, for example, and Australopithecus and Lucy and, and all those fossilized remains. And when you look at, you go to the Smithsonian website, and if you look at the tree, uh, it's called the evolutionary tree of life that links modern humans, these other forms of life. What you'll see is uh, in, in the honest depictions that the, the lines that connect us to those forms of life are broken or dashed lines. And the reason they are broken is because, and the legend actually says this on the Smithsonian site, it says these are inferred relationships mm. or speculative. Uh, they are believed to exist, although no evidence has been found in 150 years to support them. So right. we never had the physical evidence. And uh, if that was all there was, we wouldn't be having this conversation because there's no new news there. We've known that. Where yeah. the action is now is the DNA evidence. We now, this sound, this is so awesome. This is, it sounds like science fiction, but this is where science fiction becomes science fact. If our that, which seems to be happening more and more often well, well, yeah, uh, in well, our world. Know, where does science fiction come from? It's, it, there's a theory that what, the, that we as consciousness, that we inform ourselves through our creations. Mm, so our books, I love that. Our music, our art, and our film, while we think of it as entertainment, this yeah. theory actually says that it is us collectively, our collective consciousness, putting ideas out there that we're feeding back to ourselves to remind ourselves of, of who we are. Right. right. So I'm not saying that every iota of detail fits into sure. that, but the, gen the general themes, like the theme of The Matrix, for example, is hugely yep. successful, yep. says there, there's another world that we can't see. That influences yep. this world, and, and now we know that's true. Uh, Avatar fed right into that uh, Inception, the movie Inception with uh, Leonardo yep. DiCaprio, fed right yep. into that idea. So, so the movie Jurassic Park was a, a film, science fiction at first, where they were extracting DNA from the fossilized remains of ancient forms of life. We now can do that. We can take the the, the DNA. From these forms of life, Neanderthal, for example, or uh, you know, it used to be called Cro-Magnon or Lucy or whatever, whatever we want to, to if it's preserved well enough, uh, right. and we can now compare their genome to our genome, and this is where the problem comes in for evolutionary scientists because what we now know is we didn't descend from Neanderthal, for example. Uh, we shared the earth with them is what we now know. We, we probably interbred with them. They said we had Neanderthal boyfriends and girlfriends. We interbred with them, and that's why you find some Neanderthal DNA in some populations, more in, uh, in European populations, uh, right. because we interbred with them. But we, we shared the earth with them. If we shared the earth with them, we could not have descended from them, and, and scientists know that now. So right. we know who we are not, and we also know the DNA, and this is where it gets really interesting, the DNA is telling us that what are called anatomically modern humans appeared mysteriously on Earth 200,000 years ago, and that date is accepted in mainstream science. They know that we showed up 200,000 years ago. Out of nowhere, basically, right? Well, there's no evolutionary path leading to us, and here's right. where it gets really interesting. We haven't changed since we appeared. 200,000 right. years ago, we 
are the anatomically modern humans. We have the same DNA. We have the same body proportions. We have the same body structure. We appeared with a brain 50% larger than our nearest primate relatives and a nervous system called an extended neural network that allows us to consciously access our biology uh, in a way that no other form of life can do on demand with intent. Other forms of life may be able to do it instinctively, but we can sit down in a moment in time and say we choose to awaken our longevity enzymes. We choose to strengthen our immune system. We choose to access a deep state of intuition because we want to. And, and this right. is something it's called self-regulation of our biology wow. and, and also the, the ability to have sympathy, empathy, and compassion. All these uniquely human abilities showed up 200,000 years ago. They did not evolve slowly, gradually over long periods of time, which is, is the hallmark of evolution. And we haven't changed. So, so now the DNA science, we, we discovered that as far back as 2000. But now the DNA science has gone even further, called forensic DNA. It's, it's where they can look, scientists can look at the DNA in your body and my body right now. They can work backwards to see what had to happen for our DNA to give us the abilities that it gives us. And this is where it, it leads to what is actually be, being called forbidden territory, because hmm. it appears that there have been modifications in our DNA uh, that cannot happen, they cannot be attributed to evolutionary biology. They happen quickly. Uh, human chromosome number two is a perfect example. It's a fusion of two pre-existing chromosomes uh, that gives us the brain 50% larger than our nearest primate, that gives us the neocortex, um, mirror neurons in the neocortex, we might be able to talk about later, I talk about in the book. Um, human chromosome number seven, that gives us the ability for complex speech. If you've ever wondered why a chimpanzee that shares 98% plus of our DNA, they're so close to us, why can't a chimpanzee sing, you know, Stairway to Heaven? <laughs> and right. the, reason, the reason is because we underwent this shift. 75 million years, primates had this very stable configuration in chromosome number seven. All of a sudden, 200,000 years ago, just at the time, our human chromosome 2 was emerging. It gives us a larger brain. Human chromosome number 7, there was a, a shift in the DNA letters that happened only for us. No other primate hadn't happened in 75 million years and hasn't changed since. It gives us the ability. It connected our tongue with uh, the muscles in our jaw and in the right part of our brain so that we can have language and complex speech. I'm given some of these examples, all of this happened suddenly, and it hasn't changed since it happened. And what's even more interesting, human chromosome 7, once the fusion of those chromosomes happened, there was a tweaking, a modification of such precision where the overlapping functions were either turned off, shut down, or, or those parts of the DNA were removed altogether. It happened wow. all at once didn't happen slowly and gradually, and there's such precision that went into this. So what the scientists now are actually saying, and, and you can see this in uh, what I've just shared with you, is in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, a volume called Genetics. Uh, and we knew that as, as long ago as 2000, about the fusion of chromosome 2. 
Now mm-hmm. scientists are saying we are in forbidden territory because it appears that there's an intentionality yeah. underlying the genetic changes, and that implies purpose. If there is right. an intentional shift, it implies that there's a purpose for the sure. change, and sci- science can't go any further than that. Uh, and so the second half of my book is, now that we know we, we have, we're wired for these extraordinary abilities, what is that purpose? How do we awaken these extraordinary yeah. abilities? And, and we've seen it with monks and nuns and yogis and mystics and curandaros and shamans uh, in the past. Uh, and now what we're finding is, is those abilities are available to all of us in our living room. You don't yeah. have to go to a monastery halfway around the world to, to embrace these potentials. So, so that's kind of where uh, the book is right now, and it's opened the door to a lot of conversation, and, um, uh, and I feel good about that because it is based upon peer-reviewed science. It's not my, yeah. you know, my new thought, new age thinking, or theory or hypothesis. Right. It's simply the science that has not been put together in the way that, uh, that I have in this book. Wow. And it, you know, it, it obviously this happening with such precision um, definitely points to uh, an intelligence with intention, right? Um, facilitating this in some way, shape or form. Then you get into sort of the Sumerian, the ancient, the oldest text. And you have, you know, this talk of uh, us being created by like, you know, Inky and Enlil and some of these, what has been viewed as like all these are just stories uh, now, I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts on on well, the idea that you know, an extraterrestrial race could be responsible? Yeah, it's it's a good question, and uh, and it's, I'll, I'll begin with the truth. The truth is, we don't know, and that's yeah, the whole right. point. How can we know if our young people who are willing to dedicate their entire lives from universities? You know, when they graduate, they're going to dedicate their lives to uh, uncovering the deepest truths of our existence. On the one hand, the other hand, they're required by academia to stay within the box of what we now know are false assumptions of an obsolete science and, right. and try to find the deepest truths of our existence from that. So I'm just going to draw a distinction. There's a huge difference between forcing every iota of information, all the new discoveries that we find, into a pre-existing theory, like the theory of evolution, there's a huge difference between doing that and allowing the new evidence that's constantly being revealed to lead to whatever story it's going to tell. And so this book is my invitation to free our young people from the shackles of, of this obsolete science that has led us to a dead end for 150 years and keeps evolutionary biologists spinning their wheels. You know, if, if we were on the right track in the last 150 years, we've had the most brilliant minds from the greatest universities with the most sophisticated technology, the greatest sums of money ever applied to any research, if we were on the right track, I think we would have found a shred of evidence to support theory, physical evidence, yeah. and that simply has, has not happened. And yeah. scientists who are concerned about their reputation and their tenure, uh, when I go to a conference behind the scenes, they're, they're in total agreement with what you and I are saying right now. Right. They also tell me they cannot say this because they They'll value their everything. job, they mm-hmm. value their tenure, and they value the opinions of their peers. 
Right. So for me, I'll, I'll tell you, as a scientist, the moment I began talking about spirituality with science, my reputation was shot right there. You know, I, sure. <laughs> so I, I have nothing to lose by sharing what I've I've found to be true, and my colleagues, my peers, uh, are supporting this story as well. So mm. uh, it it is a story that's that's gaining traction. And yeah. you mentioned Gaia earlier. Uh, there's a program called Missing Links that uh, is going into its third season. And it's not just about evolution and biology. It's, it's about who we are in the universe. Right. But they, uh, they did a beautiful job and gave me tremendous latitude. Uh, and they did not edit anything out. They gave me the latitude to say the way I wanted to say, what I wanted to say. And they beautifully supported it with uh, uh, post-production illustrations and animations that really tell this story in, uh, in a very honoring way. And I'm, I'm really grateful to them for just for uh, having the courage to, to do that in a world where it's not always supported. Yeah, so, I absolutely lo- love the show that y- you guys are, are, you know, co-producing. And, um, you know, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Gaia um, supports this show. And one of the things that I do whenever I mention that is always reference a show that's a favorite. And Missing Links is the one I've probably referenced 70% of the time over the last year and a half or so uh, oh, that I've talked I, about I Gaia. So. It's got, you know, I have to tell you, we have a huge viewing audience all over the world. I was recently in the Middle East. I was in the Palestinian areas, um, Palestinian-controlled areas, uh, oh. on a, a visit to Israel. And I was in, I'll tell you, uh, I was in the city of Jericho, uh, which is a Palestinian-controlled mm-hmm. city. And I was coming down an escalator from a building into a sub subterranean parking area. And at the bottom of the escalator were a series of kiosks. Um, and Palestinians were running these, you know, the shops where they had tapestries and baskets and things like that. And I was mm-hmm. coming down the escalator and a man looked up at me and started yelling, missing links, missing links. <laughs> wow. he, he, he didn't know my name, but he, <laughs> yeah, right. he pointed and he says, missing links, missing links, man, missing links, man. So he had <laughs> oh, me wow. come over to his kiosk and he, he had me take a picture with him. Uh, and now my How picture cool. is up on, on his key. I don't even think he knows my name, but he's watching <laughs> missing links translated uh, into Arabic. And, and they were seeing wow. it there. So people were seeing this stuff all over the world. Wow. And it was, it was, it was really cool. interesting. But this... The story that we're talking about, and, and to answer the question, the, the logical question is, if evolution is not our story, then what is? And, mm, and the right. truth is, we don't know, and we, we will not know scientifically until we allow scientists to do what scientists do, and that is follow the evidence to the story right. that the evidence tells. Uh, science can only serve us if we keep it honest, and in many respects, science yeah. is so hijacked in the yeah. modern world by, by politics, by corporations, by pharmaceutical industry, by a religion. Science has been hijacked by all these things. And we invite our listeners, you have to be really, really careful um, to do your due diligence on where your information comes from, because there's a lot of people that are saying Something is based in science. Uh, maybe it is. There's there's a possibility it's not. And and intuitively, intuitively, I think we all sense 
the story that we're talking about is true, though. We know there's more to us than just a bunch of molecules that happened to randomly come together and, and just kept going to the most right. lucky biology of, you know, 200,000 years you could imagine. Right. So when we, when we go back, into, I've spent much of my adult life with indigenous, the indigenous peoples of the world, not, not every culture, but a lot of them, and as different as they are from one another, they all tell the same story. When it comes to us, whether you're talking, you mentioned the Sumerians, ancient Sumeria, it was about 5,500 years before present. Uh, ancient Egypt, they have their story. Um, the aboriginals of Australia, they trace their lineage continuously back 65,000 years. They've wow. got their story. The Christians have their story. The Jewish people have their story. The Hindu people have their story. The, the Hopi of North America have their story. The Navajo have their story. You watch television, Ancient Aliens, the History Channel, they've got their story. Mm. Science yep. has had a story that's called evolution. Uh, and yep. now we have a new story emerging based upon DNA. But the, the common theme, Brandon, in, in all of these indigenous stories, as different as the people are from one another, the common theme is that they all say we're the product of an intervention yep. uh, from a, a higher intelligence. It, it means different things in different traditions, but this is the common theme. And what's really interesting, and none of them are we created by a single being. It is always mm. when they created mm. humankind, when they came together. And in all of them, even the, the Christian traditions, I think most of our listeners are aware, the Christian Bible, uh, as good as it is today, it, it's incomplete in the sense that it was edited by the Catholic Church in the 4th century, the Emperor Constantine. Uh, right. And 43 books were removed. The ones that were left were edited, condensed, and rearranged to make the story that we have today. And we know those books were removed because they were rediscovered in the 1940s, mid-20th century. Uh, right. So interesting. The oldest books of the Old Testament were found as the Dead Sea Scrolls that pushed the date back over a thousand years from the oldest records of the, of the Old Testament. The oldest books of the New Testament were found uh, in Egypt in what is called the Nag Hammadi Library. And when you put those together, they tell, uh, in my opinion, a more complete, give a more complete picture of, of our history. And one of the things that they all say is that it took multiple iterations, multiple efforts to create uh, the body of a modern human that mm. has the ability to hold the power of the human soul in this world. Now, that's not science, and I'm not saying it is. Yep. But I'm saying that when you see a common theme, uh, another example, almost universally, every indigenous tradition says there was a big flood that happened on the earth, and they all agree pretty much on the time. It's about five, five to 8,000 years ago, somewhere right around in there. And uh, as a geologist, what we can see is there, there was a big flood, uh, happened, um, well, happened over a period of time. The, the end of the Ice Age, uh, the Ice Age ended 12,000 years ago, but there was about 5,000 years um, where the, the ice was melting and we had big storms and things like that. So, so we know there was a flood, and right. each tradition tells about what it meant to them. So, again, that's not science. It's just their stories. So each tradition says that they are the product uh, of an intervention 
um, related to uh, an intelligence from beyond this world, or maybe a part of this world that we simply don't recognize, and uh, and they tell it from their perspective what it meant to them. So that is where the the indigenous traditions and the stories are, and the DNA evidence is telling us that that something happened to the DNA that cannot be explained through evolutionary biology uh, as we know it today. So that's yeah. this is where where we're going with everything. This is where the story is right now. Well, my yeah, sense and it's, is it's, my sense is if we want to get to the bottom of this, if we follow and embrace the potential that lives within each of us to fully realize this extraordinary potential that we are wired to embrace. So we don't have to suffer and we don't have to to have the disease and the sickness. We're never designed to, to have these kinds of disease and sicknesses. Uh, and the, to regulate our immune system and to regulate our longevity enzymes. If we embrace and follow and live with these extraordinary capabilities, I think they're probably going to lead us full circle to answer the question, who or what is responsible for us? Because as we begin living that kind of life, it will lead us to those answers. So uh, it's just another way of going. One way of thinking says, first you figure out who you are, and then you live that way. The other one says you live your potential, and it will lead you to who you are. Right, right. I think either one's possible. Yeah, yeah. It definitely seems to be a a game of uh, cat and mouse being played. Um, and uh, breadcrumbs that are being have been left by something, someone, our higher self, whatever you want to call it. And then it gets really interesting when you dive in. You know, we've been talking so far on, on the show uh, about, you know, where did we as humans come from? Well, one of the other things you dive into on Missing Links, it's like even sort of the zoomed out uh, question is, hold on, where did it all come from? And what about this new evidence that it appears to be some sort of simulation, not so different than, you know, VR, virtual reality that we see sort of coming on on the scene here. All right. Well, now seems like a good moment to take a quick minute to tell those of you who aren't familiar a bit about our sponsor, Gaia. I've been a big fan of Gaia for many years now, which is why they're the only content provider I've ever reached out to in regards to potentially supporting this podcast. So, Needless to say, I'm very excited they're now supporting the show. Gaia truly is my personal go-to source for streaming consciousness content on the web. They have an incredible 7,000-plus exclusive videos covering 5,000 years of wisdom. Just to give you an example, on the show Missing Links, the incredible researcher Greg Braden explores all the biggest questions concerning who we are, where we come from, where we're going, by connecting the missing links between science and spirituality to complete our understanding of humanity's history and to better understand the interconnectedness of all things. Awesome, right? And that's just one example. As you guys constantly hear me say, it's a daily conscious effort to maintain an elevated vibration. And if you're looking to go deep down the rabbit hole to do so, then Gaia is the best place I know of to do it, period. And you can sign up for your first month for only 99 cents at Gaia.com forward slash positive head. That's spelled G-A-I-A dot com forward slash positive head. Check it out. You know, we don't have a ton of time left, but with the time we do have left, I would love to take it to that one more uh, twist down the rabbit hole, if you will, and hear, uh, you know, uh, some of your your insights on that. 
Well, there's this is actually it, it sounds new to us because again it's becoming more in vogue. But mm-hmm. the first proposal of this theory was actually 1949. Uh, oh, the wow. father, the father of modern computers, his name was Conrad Zusa. Uh, when he was first working with what were, you know, vacuum tubes and the ability to, to move information through circuits and built uh, the first, uh, what today we would call a primitive computer, but then they were pretty sophisticated. He was the first mm-hmm. one to ask the question. He said, is it possible that mm. the world that we're living in uh, is actual uh, a virtual reality or a simulation just like we're building in the computers that we're we're now creating in, in our laboratory. And this right. goes back to this thinking that we inform ourselves through our creations. We build in our lives and we create through our art and our music uh, and our film uh, the, the information that informs us as to the deepest truths of, of our existence. So this has been a question since 1949. Are, is the world as real as it is, as real as it appears? Are we living in what is called a virtual reality or a simulated reality? And if we were, how would we even know it? If this is the only world we know, how, how would we even know that? And now this has moved from a, a question that used to be a whisper behind the scenes and, you know, in the 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 privacy of 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 a of a suite between scientists at a conference where they're having lunch you know before they go into the public it's gone from that to people like Elon Musk and Neil deGrasse Tyson right, right, Kaku. right. <laughs> yeah Michio Kaku I mean this is mainstream stuff it's been in in the magazines the Atlantic wrote an article about this the Wired magazine has written articles it's was in USA Today. It's been the subject of uh, a number of Hollywood movies and films that, of course, uh, took it to extremes as Hollywood does. But, sure. but the general theme is: is it possible that we are living in a, in a simulated or virtual reality? Where, for the first time in 2001, scientists took this serious enough to actually create an algorithm and run the first scientific investigation into whether or not. Uh, we are in in this virtual reality, and and what they did was they assigned a ton of variables and uh, variables representing different elements of our of our everyday lives. They ran it through this alg- algorithm, and and the bottom line was that the mathematics suggests that there is a, a probability much stronger that we are in a simulation than that we are not. Wow! Um, Elon Musk, uh, as I mentioned, is putting a lot of energy. Uh, into this, because if we are living in a simulation, then there is a way to to break out of that simulation or to go beyond. Or if if it's based in software, there's always a back door. With I, I was a, a software designer for years, and and there's always a back right. door into the software for the those in the know to mm. to to go into the you know the heart of of the code. Uh, and, you know, for everyday lives, it may not make that much difference uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, it's just really interesting to me because when we look into our most ancient and cherished spiritual traditions and what they say, they all tell us, number one, that this world has a beginning and this world has an end. They tell us that the world is an illusion that we live in an illusion, we live in what's called the Maya uh, in the Hindu mm-hmm. traditions. 
uh, that we're only here for a brief period of time. This isn't the end. We're here on our way to somewhere else. And we're here to learn something in this world in a relatively safe environment that we're going to need when we get to wherever it is that we're going. And when you think about that kind of languaging, and then you look at the definition of a simulation, and the definition of a simulation, it reads almost verbatim. Uh, the same thing. It says a simulation has a beginning, it has an end. A simulation has rules, uh, and the, the better we learn the rules, the easier our place in the simulation becomes. Uh, in the simulation, we're, we're there to learn something in a relatively safe environment that we're going to need when we go to wherever it is that we're going uh, beyond that simulation. And the thing I find fascinating in both, the, our spiritual traditions as well as the, the definition of a simulation, is when you're in the simulation, you always have access to an external source of information that is not mm. with you in the simulation, that has a greater perspective, a greater viewpoint. Interesting. So in, in a simulation, you can always, you know, click on the mic and talk to the guys in the control room and say, hey, I'm in trouble here. What should I do? Yep. Um, our ancestors and our most cherished spiritual traditions tell us that we do that when we close our eyes. Uh, we go in, we, we breathe slower to change our autonomic nervous system to click us into a mode of reception. And in that reception, that we can communicate with something that's beyond this world Maybe it's us, what you call a higher self. Maybe it's a greater intelligence. Maybe it's an angel. Maybe it's a guide, whatever you want to call it. When you get right. past the words that we've given it and you look at the ideas that are being presented, the parallels are striking. So mm. now the scientific thinking, they're taking this very seriously now. You can actually get a degree in some universities uh, upon a, uh, a degree based upon investigating whether or not we're in a simulation. University of Washington wow. is offering this right now. Wow. So it's more, it's more than a philosophical question, because if we are, uh, it changes the way we've been led to think about ourselves. And, and I always go back to this again and again. The better we know ourselves, the less we fear things yes. in, our, in our world. The less we yeah. fear one another, the less we fear our own power. And maybe that's the whole point, is for us to embrace our own power in this world, because we're going to need it wherever we're going next. And uh, yeah. what we think is, I mean, the implications are vast. What is death? You know, if we're living in the simulation, it means we're not here anyway. So right. When somebody dies here, it means they're, they're finished with the simulation, but they still exist outside of the simulation, which is pretty much what our spiritual traditions have, have always told us. Elon Musk says he actually hopes and that we should hope that we are in a simulation because it means if we make a big mistake and destroy yep. everything, it's, it's not the end. It's just the end of, of the simulation you know, of this experiment. And if yeah. we are in a simulation, the odds are that it's not the only one. We probably if the purpose of the simulation, the people in the simulation are the ones that benefit. So we yeah. are the ones that are benefiting from being in this simulation. What are we benefiting? How are we benefiting? We're learning about mm. ourselves, and we're learning about self-power, self-empowerment, uh, and we're learning about war uh, on the larger scale. And if we are creating a simulation to learn about ourselves, it makes sense that we would create more than one with different scenarios 
And this is yeah. where the whole idea of Different parallel timelines. universes. Yeah. Yeah, parallel realities, all those things come from. So it goes on and on. Uh, it's, it is interesting to me that it is being taken so seriously yeah. on such a deep level. Uh, I mean, even CERN, the superconducting super collider that, uh, that straddles Switzerland and France, it's the, the largest piece of machinery ever built by humankind uh, that is jointly operated but the largest cooperative scientific research uh, project ever embarked upon. And they are investigating the ultimate nature of our reality, and everything they're finding supports the idea uh, that there's a field of information. It's now called the Higgs field uh, that appeared mysteriously, uh, and that we are all part of this field of information. And, you know... It's just so interesting to me. Joe Dispenza and Bruce Lipton and I talk about this a lot when we tour together. You know, the atoms that we're made of are mostly empty space. We're, we're over 99% right. empty space. Right. But we are this, this essence projected into this, this empty space, holding this form together while we're in this world. And when our essence leaves, our empty space goes back into the field where it used to be. And, you know, when you put all that together, it's a very, very different way of thinking. And uh, it opens up the door to a lot of possibilities. And, and I think it's, this is a time for, for new thinking and new possibilities. It's going to be fascinating to see how it continues to unfold. And for any of you guys uh, listening that want to uh, dive in deeper, Missing Links, the first I believe it's the first season. There's several episodes which just go deep down the rabbit hole with this and just absolutely fascinating topic. I wish we had a little more time to do so today, but looking at the clock here, and I know you've got another another um, conversation no, to join I, into. I am. I'm, I'm going to an interview at the top of the hour, but it was. I just wanted to clarify, Missing Link Season 2 is mm-hmm. dedicated, the entire season is dedicated to exploring the idea and the science uh, underlying this this idea that we could possibly be living in a simulation or a virtual okay, it's reality. Two. Season two, got it. Yep. Yeah. Thank perfect, you. Perfect. Hey, Brandon, thank you so much for our time together. You're. Uh, I knew it would go by quickly, and it did. It and, certainly uh, did. Yeah, I want to thank everyone, all of our listeners. Thank you for um, just allowing us to have this conversation and making this part of your day. We love you for for all that you're doing to be the best person you can be and for creating the best possible world out there. And, uh, and I, I look forward to our next Brandon, you know, uh, Greg, thank you for that. I would like to ask one last question, 30 yeah. seconds or less, sure. 30 seconds or less. What is the meaning of life? According to Greg Braden? Hey, the meaning of life is to, uh, to jump in with both feet and, um, uh-huh. and, and have the whole experience. Don't avoid it. That's uh-huh. why we're here is to live it. Yes. Get off the sidelines, everyone. You heard it here from the man himself, Greg Braden. Thank you, Greg. Have a wonderful rest of your day. It's been a real pleasure. You as well. Thank you so much. I look forward to our next, okay? Uh, Yes, likewise. I've got plenty of questions queued up. (laughs) Bye-bye. Take take care. Bye-bye. Well, everyone, that concludes this week's interview episode. If you have enjoyed this positive download from our hearts and minds to yours, please Take a minute, give us a rating or review on iTunes, since iTunes is the holy grail of all things podcasting. Uh, your good reviews help us to reach more listeners. Also, we would be extremely appreciative if you would tell your friends and family about the show. Our sincere intent with the Positive Head podcast is to spread positivity to the world because, well, because we're selfish, quite honestly. 
Uh, I say that jokingly, but really only halfway joking. I'm referring to the good kind of selfish based on the knowing that we all get what we give in this life because when we give, we're actually always giving to extensions of self since we're all really one in the same consciousness, just in different bodies. So if you want to be a good selfish along with us by helping to spread the positivity, by all means, please proceed to shout about the Positive Head podcast from your rooftop. <laughs> Otherwise, as you continue on your fabulous journey in this 3D reality, be sure to remember this. As long as you ain't dead, you're already positive ahead. Journey well, everyone, and thank you for being.